0: so much happens in these eight verses that in 2000 years of church history not one church father so think Hilary of Poitiers, Bernard of Clairvaux, Origen, John Chrysostom, not one Augustine, not one of them has ever preached an entire sermon on all of these verses. Instead, most of them preached eight different sermons, one for each verse. And so here I go, about to preach the whole thing. So Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that the Messiah is? And so they answer, they tell him, right? They're very candid with Jesus. They say some people believe that John the Baptist, your cousin, was the Messiah. Why? Because he always preached the truth, no matter what, even to people in power. And that got him killed. He also baptized, which is very unique. Some people say that Elijah was the Messiah. Since he did so many wonderful miracles, he prophesied as well. We're still talking about him. Some people thought that Jeremiah was the Messiah. Because he preached against religious leaders. Just like Jesus did. But also he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, like Jesus would. And he was punished for it, like Jesus will be. But, my disciples, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's something I would like to reflect on today. Who do your friends, your family, your coworkers believe that their savior is? How would they answer the question, who is my savior? What is going to save me? Probably you'd get an answer like, well, myself. I've been taking care of myself thus far, and I'm going to keep doing it. Many might say, if you push them on it, well, my 401k, my pension, my Roth IRA. I'm paying taxes on it now because I know the taxes will increase when I take it out. That will save me. I'll have a cushion. Some people might say, well, buying flashy things, making sure I always have a better car than my neighbor and letting, not letting them know that I'm leasing it, that I own it. Some might even say, well, what's my savior? Hmm, the next generation, my kids. I'm going to make sure that my kids are more successful than my neighbor's kids. And then a very different question. Who do your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, who do they think Jesus is? Do they think he was a really nice guy? Who had very interesting things to say, kind of like the West Buddha or something. And then he died. And we miss him. We think about him around Christmas time. Maybe they think he was a hippie. Maybe he's someone that you think of in your mind when you're doing something bad, and you think, oh, well, he's very loving, so what I'm doing is okay. That's all very different from who you say that Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is Jesus someone similar to what I've been describing? Well, let's not dwell too long on this. Let's go to Peter. What did Peter have to say? Because he had quite the answer. And he spoke for all of the other disciples, even for Judas. In saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are our savior. You're the chosen one. You will deliver us from our oppression of all kinds, physical, political, spiritual. You are the son of the living God. Very controversial. God has a son. And here he is standing in front of me. This is what's called a confession. That usually means one of two things in English. Either it's admission of wrongdoing when you're confronted about it, when you confess. Or it's what we're talking about here, a confession of faith. A declaration of what someone believes. The word or the same word seems to mean two very different things, right? But really, they're not too different. To confess simply means to say the same thing. That's where we get this word confession, to say the same thing. So with confession of guilt or sin, how is one doing that? Well, they're asked, did you steal? And the suspect confesses back to him, yes, I did steal. So he's making a confession. He's saying the same thing back to his questioner or accuser. So in a confession of faith, God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the disciples confess altogether back to God. You, Jesus, are the son of God, the Christ. So not only are they saying the same thing together, but they're saying the same thing back to God that he has said to us confession saying the same thing we also do both of these kinds in our service we begin by silently bringing to mind the 10 commandments how we've broken them as well as other things that we know we've done wrong or that we neglected to do in this last week And we bring to mind scriptures that we've been reading and meditating on that show us how we've failed to live up to God's declared word. And then we confess back to God what he expected of us. Confession. But this time, confession of sin. But we also all say together a confession of our faith each week. Usually... We say the Nicene Creed because we're doing the sacrament. And the Nicene Creed is a summary of all of God's scriptures that testify about God, triune, said back to God altogether. We're saying the same thing that God has said to us together as a church, his body, back to him. Confession. Confession. But it's not all us confessing and giving to God. No, right? This is the divine service. God serves us. He gives us his gifts here. And not even that day with Peter, Jesus and the apostles, was it all them? Because what does God immediately do upon this confession of faith? He blesses Peter. He blesses the disciples. He blesses all Christians who share this confession of faith. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, not because you figured this out on your own, not because you reasoned it out, but because God the Father has revealed it to you. You're blessed. That's another wonderful thing about making a confession. Our faith has been given us by God himself. It all lays at his feet. There's no stress on your shoulders. You and I are not Christians because we decided to be or because it logically makes sense that my life will, I don't know, be a lot easier in Outgrow village because I'm a Christian. No. We all have a saving faith. As a gift. A work not of our own. A work of the Holy Spirit. Given to our hearts. For some of us. Even some of us. Have been. Baptized by. Yours truly. That is where we received it. At the baptismal font. This faith. But some of us it came to us through the hearing of the word whether it be read shared preached or quite literally you grew up in a maybe a christian home that was not necessarily lutheran or roman catholic or a conservative presbyterian denomination and so you just quite literally learned the faith from your parents telling you about jesus praying all these things you receive faith by hearing, But no matter what, blessing comes from confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as the Son of God who shares a status with you as his little brother or sister. And so by reading Jesus' words, by making them our own, by confessing them back to him, by making his proclamations... And his promises, your own, you make them a confession of faith. And when you have a confession of faith, you'll notice it becomes the most important thing in your life. You'd be willing to do anything to protect your confession of faith. You'd suffer all kinds of woes. You might even die for your confession of faith because nothing else matters. Going back to the service, though, when we make these confessions to God in our service, he blesses us. And the chief way that he blesses us in this divine service is his next gift to Peter, his gift to the apostles, his gift to you, Christians the absolution of sins, absolution to absolve. So Jesus makes three promises. He says to Peter, on your confession of faith in Christ, I'm going to build my church. Two, he promises that evil will never destroy the Christian church completely. And three, Jesus gives all Christians, he gives to you, All of you who make up his body, the church, something called the keys. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. And those keys are used either to loose and forgive sins or bind sins in those who do not repent. Keys. Maybe you've seen St. Peter holding them in art, in statues, on flags. All Christians who share Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, you serve as the foundation of the church, built on top of the prophets and the apostles' words, which we find in Scripture. And as our uh, our verse before the gospel showed us from Ephesians, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone And this is that house that, if built on those things, can be shaken by wind and storms, but will not fall down. It's the same building that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that, if built on the scriptures, if with Christ as cornerstone, it will be tested with fire, with storms, with winds. And it will show the world what you used to make it with and whether it falls or not. And here's what's wonderful as long as two or three show up and make this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, together, gathered around the teaching of God's word and his sacraments, there will be a Christian church, no matter where that is happening across space and time. That is church. He knows his own, and his own know him. His peace he gives to them. Amen. And you share this superpower with Peter, with the apostles, with all Christians, to forgive sins of those who are seeking it. This is, once again, called absolution. To absolve is a Latin word, To set free. To set free. You're literally setting people free from their sin, their burdened conscience, when you forgive them with these keys. And when you forgive people honestly and earnestly in today's world, it takes them off guard. And people love it. Because people don't do that anymore. Returning to our service. And this is kind of like a small little thing of what I used to do in the very beginning when I was here, is explain parts of the service. So whenever in the service we confess to God what he's already said or shown us, and then we respond to him in confession, God then responds to us in what is called the absolution. He forgives our sins. You have shared these keys. So the keys belong to you, right? Christ has given you these keys. He's given them to me as well. I'm a Christian. And you share them with me. You share the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom with me as a congregation. And when that first happened was when you called me to be your pastor, to do this for you publicly, You gave me those keys to forgive your sins in public acts of worship and in private needs of confession and absolution. You called me to be the guy who will always be there, no matter what, no matter the situation, no matter if you messed up real bad, to remind you that you are forgiven. I literally am here to absolve your sins, to set you free from your sins. Because often, we don't want that to be true. When we have done something terrible, and we keep feeling guilty about it, we don't want to hear, oh, you're forgiven, yeah, yeah, sure, I don't feel forgiven. And that's why we need to keep hearing it, keep hearing the words of Christ. From this unique office, the Office of the Keys of Public Ministry, I am here to constantly remind you, you are forgiven. Three times throughout our service, we do this small exchange. The Lord be with you. And then you respond. And with thy spirit. And there I am am engaging with you in a 2000 year old process where I am putting out my feelers to see if this is a gathering of catechized Christians who have gathered around word and sacrament like Jesus has asked us to by saying the Lord be with you. It's almost like a secret password. And when you respond, and with thy spirit, you are showing that yes, these are Christians gathered to hear the word and to receive his sacraments. You are ready for me to exercise my public office as pastor, to use those keys you've given me to pronounce forgiveness, absolution, setting you free from your sins over you. Your sins are forgiven. We've already done it once in the confession and absolution, if you can remember. We're about to do it again right before communion, and we'll do it one final time before I bless you with the benediction. And I think that's enough for today. This text is inexhaustible. Fun fact. There are this little eight verses. The most has been written about these eight verses in all of Christian scripture. And yes, I think this is enough for today. But please pray and meditate on all these great promises and gifts today as you commune. Because communing here is a public confession of your faith. When you commune here, you are saying before the world, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is here for me, for the forgiveness of my sins in his body and his blood. Here, he has established his church in, the, in this place on your confession of faith. And we have this altar here that is immovable to represent this. His church will never be conquered by the devil. Never, ever, he promised. And we share a beautiful relationship with one another as Christians. I absolve your sins. You absolve one another. Sometimes you absolve me. We use these great gifts, Christ's keys, keys to the kingdom of heaven, each and every day. God bless your binding and your loosing. In his name, amen.